0: And so if that's repentance, what is forgiveness? Uh, If we did that, and again, I'll keep it first person. If I do that, what is it that would be the response that I'm looking for that that sets up? And as we think about forgiveness, I think C.S. Lewis hits the nail on the head when he says, forgiveness is a lovely idea until we have something to forgive you know, forgiveness is one of those things, I mean, it's what all the great movies are made about. Uh, I mean, there's all these points where you have this redemptive, forgiving moment, and it just makes us want to cry and hold one another and cuddle uh, until we have something to forgive, and then it's just, is isn't fair, you don't deserve this. Um, And I think that's why it's an often neglected subject in marriage events. Because if this seminar series were... um, market-driven marriage, we wouldn't talk about forgiveness. Because it's just not a popular enough subject. We want to believe that we're good people and if we really love one another, we're never going to hurt each other's feelings. And so tell us nice, warm, fuzzy stories about how to just hold hands, walk happily ever after. Um, But because this is gospel-centered marriage that recognizes we're fallen, broken people We will offend one another. And if we can learn to do those moments in a way that draws us closer together, we will have a very satisfying and romantic marriage. We talk about it. So, um, Everett Worthington, he says, Counseling techniques cannot help people forgive any more than a physician can heal a person's body. Counseling techniques like a physician's tool, are merely structures through which God sometimes sovereignly acts. And so, what most of us want is, we want, Brad, can you tell us how to make forgiveness easy? And we wouldn't say it this way, and we feel bad as soon as we hear it, but... um, can you make it easier for me to forgive my spouse than it was for Jesus to forgive me? I want forgiveness to be easier for me than it was for Jesus. Uh, and in the reality, it's when we forgive that we experience both sides of the gospel. And the thing that, that should be motivating about wanting us to be excellent forgivers is the reality that we are never more like Christ than when we forgive. And so if we say we are here for a gospel-centered marriage, and part of that is us becoming as much like Christ as we can, and we recognize the reality we are never more like Christ than when we forgive, we can begin to say, even though it may not be the most pleasant thing in the world, yes, I want it. John Piper. He says we do need to forgive sin and forbear strangeness. And sometimes you won't even agree on which is which. And so as we talk about forgiveness, I want to take just a moment and I want us to talk about some things that we don't need to forgive. Uh, Because oftentimes when we present on forgiveness, it makes it sound like everything that annoys or bothers us should be forgiven. And I would say that's simply not true. There are many things that bother and annoy us that don't merit forgiveness. Forgiveness is for moral offenses. And when we try to forgive things that don't need to be forgiven, we become judgmental, we become harsh, self-righteous, And we begin to feel like this whole deal is very unfair. So I want to give you three things that we don't forgive. And talk about the kind of gracious responses that we give to those kinds of things. Human weakness. We don't forgive human weakness. Uh, Being clumsy. Having a struggle in a particular aptitude. uh, Experiencing... Uh, The limitations that come with a physical injury or aging. Um, Yet, there are plenty of places that are just human weakness. Uh, That, okay, those are places that we show compassion. That we show patience. That we assist and come alongside to encourage. And, I would say one of the things that make marriage very sweet is when I don't have to be good at everything and I am still loved and accepted. Because one of the things we've touched on is that in most of the other areas of our life, we play to our strengths. You know, in our career, we get a job and we get training and we become good at something and we do those things that are in our strength. In many ways, in a culture of specialization, the only place where we are asked to do things consistently that we're not good at, that aren't of interest to us, is in our home. And if we're not careful, that can really sour our attitude towards home. But if we begin to realize home becomes a place where I don't have to be good at everything that I do, I can have weaknesses and limitations, but I'm still loved. I'm still cared for. That makes home a very precious and special place. A second thing that we don't forgive. We don't forgive differences in personality or preference. Um, you know, being an introvert, an extrovert, optimistic, pessimistic, cautious, adventurous, concrete, abstract, uh, organized, fluid. Uh, all of those things uh, where those differences come up, Those are not things that we forgive. Uh, What we do there is we appreciate one another. We learn who each other are. Uh, We cooperate with each other trying to come alongside in our strengths and weaknesses. Um, This is where, uh, to whatever extent this phrase is healthy and good, uh, we complete one another. Uh, And so when oftentimes when those differences in personality and perspective come up, um, we can get upset with one another and act as if those things are wrong. Why do you always want to stay at home? Don't you enjoy being with people? Why do you always have to go out with people? Can't you just enjoy being here with me? That is taking those things that are differences in personality and perspective. And beginning to treat them in a moral tone as if they merit forgiveness. Uh, A third area uh, that we don't forgive. Uh, Attempting to do something and failing. There are plenty of things that if I am going to try to do them, just to make a special moment for my wife, that are going to flop. Uh, breakfast in bed has gone really bad at least twice. And it didn't need to be forgiven. There's going to be those things and what we do is we appreciate even almost to that level of celebration that says, thank you for stretching yourself even in an area that wasn't something you were good at or knew what you were doing simply because... You wanted to try a new way to show your love and appreciation for me. And it's that freedom that appreciates and celebrates that really allows the marriage relationship to keep that sense of adventure that is fun, that was the kind of things that we did when we were dating That if we feel like we have to do it right, or it's going to be condemned or looked down on, then the kinds of things that we do for one another become so constrained that it feels very predictable, routine, and mundane. And so we don't forgive those things, not because we get better, but because we want to give much more positive responses of grace that create that atmosphere of adventure. Now, look at a couple more quotes on forgiveness that hit on the same idea. Paul Tripp, he's talking about a couple. He says, Their marriage rusted into brokenness by the daily rain of little drops of unforgiveness. The harvest of forgiveness is the kind of marriage everyone wants. Forgiveness stimulates appreciation and affection. When we forgive one another daily, we do not look at one another through the lens of our worst failures and biggest weaknesses. Winston Smith, he says, You'll likely find practicing forgiveness in marriage difficult. This is because the more intimate you are with someone, the closer you are to them, the more power he or she has to wound you deeply. Fear, anger, bitterness, hopelessness, even numbness can impede forgiveness. Emotions that keep us tied to past wounds, they rob forgiveness of its life giving power. So, in light of those quotes, I think it's worth considering what are my options besides forgiveness? I mean, any other of life, I want to be an informed consumer. I mean, I'm willing to consider this whole forgiveness option if that turns out to be uh, the best thing on the table. But tell me, let's explore. What are the other things we could do besides forgive? Uh, and I think there's four uh, we could uh, approve and affirm, we could become moral relativists. Who am I to judge? I don't do everything perfectly. Um, and the problem is, we start to call wrong right. Now again, we've said forgiveness is only for moral offenses, and, and you know if we try to do this with the things we just talked about, it'd get messy. But if I just try to approve and affirm those things that I should forgive, then my world gets morally upside down. Um, I could ignore. Live in denial. Kind of go with the life motto. If I can't change it, what good does it do to think about it? And uh, oddly, what we find is that the first step of forgiveness is paying attention to what's wrong. The first step of forgiveness is actually getting upset about the right things. Um, Now, we could take that a little further, and we could go all the way to just avoidance. You know, kind of denial on steroids, where we begin to surrender larger and larger parts of our life that we just don't pay attention to. Okay, we know some reckless spending's going on, but we're just not going to, um, we're not even going to look at the budget. We're just not going to pay attention to the finances. There could be a particular uh, room of the house or relationship or something going on. We're just going to avoid that and not deal with it. And so what happens is by the time the sin crashes in and it will, it becomes absolutely overwhelming and larger than we ever thought it would be. Or we could just get angry and bitter, uh, which is actually the closest to a good response. Because when we get angry, we feel like something needs to be done about this. Uh, But we all kind of know that anger and bitterness... It may be closer to good, but it's not good. And so when we look at trying to approve things that are wrong, ignore, avoid anger and bitterness, we begin to realize that there is no healthy response outside of forgiveness. So we begin to look at what is forgiveness. And I think C.S. Lewis helps us begin that. He says, Christianity does not want us to reduce by one atom The hatred we feel for the cruelty and treachery. We ought to hate them, whatever form that sin takes. Not one word of what we have said about them needs to be unsaid. But it does want us to hate them in the same way in which we hate these things in ourselves. Being sorry the man should have done them and hoping, if in any way possible, that somehow, sometime, somewhere, He can be cured and made holy again. Yet, And that should be the attitude that we bring to forgiving. So take a moment and consider a few things that forgiveness is not. Uh, forgiveness is not containing our hurt. Um. Uh, You know, if we think of forgiveness just as containing our hurt, it becomes a synonym for being fake, for being false. Um, I would say it this way. Forgiveness is what allows us to express hurt as hurt instead of hurt as anger. Forgiveness is what allows us to express hurt as hurt instead of hurt as anger. When you have come to me in repentance and I forgive you, and I can talk about what, I can actually talk about what hurt me instead of just in anger trying to get it through to you, what you did. And so forgiveness is not containing hurt, forgiveness is not letting someone off the hook. It, um, in many ways, when we say, I forgive you, we're saying that this is a moral level offense. It deserves forgiveness. When I say, I forgive you, I am not letting you off the hook for your sin. I am just accepting Christ on the cross for your sin. And that's a point that we need to grasp. When I say, I forgive you, I'm not letting you off the hook for your sin. I'm accepting Christ on the cross for your sin. And forgiving is not some kind of sentimental amnesia um, that implies that uh, my spouse will never do this again and I get this falsely optimistic view. And that will push us to ask the question, uh, what is forgiveness? And I want to give us four promises, four commitments that begin to capture what I believe forgiveness is. We're going to come to the emotional side of forgiveness uh, in our closing point here. But right now, what we're going to say is that forgiveness is a promise. It is a commitment that results in a sense of emotion and trust. Uh, it is not Forgiveness is not those things. It is something that produces those things. And so the first commitment of forgiveness is that I will not think about Or dwell on this incident. This is different from forgive and forget. And I will say this in a way that may initially make some of us uncomfortable. I don't think God forgives and forgets. If we look at the promise that most of us think of when we hear that. It's in Jeremiah 31-34. God says, I will remember your sins No more. Let me just ask you a question. Can an omniscient God who knows everything forget our sin? Let me say it this way. If God could forget our sin and every part of my life that was tainted by sin when I got to heaven I think He would look at me and go I know you Your face is familiar. There's some. Don't tell me. Don't. I mean, it just. How much of my. How much of me would God know if He forgot everything about me that was marked by sin? What He says is, I remember your sin no more. When I, when I call you to mind, I don't think of your sin. When I look at you, that is not what what I see is the righteousness of Christ that I gave you and draped over you. That is what I call to mind when I see you, not your sin. And one of the things that I think is a good mark of how much we have forgiven is the level of detail that we remember about the offenses of our spouse. The more details that we remember around the offense, the more we have been replaying those over and over in our mind in such a way uh, that keeps the memory fresh. Second commitment. I will not bring this incident up and use it against you. Um, Past failures are powerful weapons in an argument. They're a great trump card. And when I say, I forgive you, I am committing to disarm this weapon that would be in my arsenal, I'm declaring it off limits. And I would say in two senses, one obvious, one not so obvious. In the obvious sense, I am not going to verbally bring this up and use it against you. In the less obvious sense, I am not going to replay this in my mind in a way that justifies whatever bad thing that I want to do. And oftentimes it's not me using it against you in an argument, it's me using it to justify the action in my head that you did that so I can do this. And in that sense, I am using it against you. Three, I will not talk about this incident to other people. I'm basically saying you are safe when you are not present. When I forgive you, I'm not going to bring this up in such a way that it begins to tarnish your reputation in any of our circles of friendship. And the fourth one, which I modify a little bit from the way that Ken Sandy words it, it's with the appropriate precautions in place, I will give you the benefit of the doubt again. And so, part of the follow-up to forgiveness is a renewed vulnerability. And I wish I could tell you that forgiving means that you'll never be hurt again. But when we forgive, it does mean that I am leaving myself in a position where I could be hurt again. And I think part of one of those marks of what is authentic repentance is how well can we agree on what those appropriate precautions and follow-up measures ought to be. Now, one final piece here, because I don't want to leave the emotions out, Uh, A lot of presentations like this can begin to treat emotions as if they are the caboose on the train and we don't really need to pay any attention to them. And if we just do what we're supposed to do, the caboose will come along. I want us to take a moment and to think through how we help our emotions come along with our forgiveness. Because I don't think that's trivial. If we're going to have the kind of trust and closeness that we want to have in our marriage, our emotions need to come along. And so, uh, Nancy Lee DeMoss, she says, You see, God never intended our bodies to hold up under the weight of unresolved conflict and bitterness. Forgiveness is not so much about us as it is about Him. Every opportunity you encounter to practice forgiveness is an opportunity to draw attention to the God who so delights to show mercy and to pardon sinners, that he gave his only son to make it possible. And so if if our body wasn't made to bear up under bitterness, we we need to understand that emotional journey. And what I want to do here is I want to give you seven phases. Now, don't think steps. uh, Because if we think steps, it sounds too mechanical. Uh, Because, again, think of it this way. Dancing is more than steps. Steps. Singing is more than notes. Uh, and, and so while I give you some of this, it, it, it's to help you in the, the process of, of taking this journey. And so where does forgiveness start? Forgiveness always starts in the context of being hurt. When it's time for me to forgive, I'll always be raw. We never think, this is a great time for me to forgive. You know, I was just feeling particularly gracious and was looking for somebody to spill that out on. You could not have picked a better day to offend me. Um, And we shouldn't minimize the fact that forgiveness always happens in that raw context. We should also recognize that hurt is an experience that does not remove itself. Time does not heal moral offenses. If time is going to heal this wound, it is probably one that does not merit forgiveness. And oftentimes that leaves us feeling trapped. Because we recognize either I'm going to forgive and that's not fair, or I'm going to continually carry this burden of unforgiveness and bitterness and mistrust. And as we feel caught there, it's almost as if life is taking the side of the person who offended us. Now, justice also doesn't erase history or emotion you know we've all seen trials where somebody's child was murdered and the person who did the murdering uh, the gavel falls and they say guilty and they get life in prison or even uh, the death penalty <clears throat> and they interview the parent and they say does this make you feel better no no Justice doesn't erase history. Um, It's still there. Um, Now, repentance, it doesn't erase history, but it it does help with some of the emotion. At least now, it feels like we're trading apples for apples a little bit. We're trading this prideful, self-centered response for this humble, other-minded response. But there's still that sense that that no amount of repentance is going to guarantee that I won't be hurt again. Um, and so that brings us to the fifth point. That we recognize forgiveness means that something must die. In Genesis 3, when God said, When you eat of the tree, when you eat of the fruit of this tree, you will surely die. He wasn't making a threat. He was stating a reality. And we begin to realize exactly how devastating sin is when we have to forgive. Nothing short of death will stop it. We begin to see clearly something is going to die. Either our love is going to die our trust is going to die, our hope is going to dry, some dream that we have, some dignity that we feel, some sense of respect, or Christ in its place. And we begin to see that we choose who or what to send to the cross. When we say, I forgive you, that can be translated I apply Christ to your account. I begin to see how much my forgiveness is a picture of what's going on. That there was all of this devastation that sin was wreaking in our world. And Christ threw Himself in front of the train and He said, stop! No further! No more destruction. No more heartbreak for those that i love i will take the force of the train of sin and rep- to protect those who are on the track that i love and that our forgiveness is an enactment of that and then finally we are reminded of a peace that is greater than our pain doesn't mean it makes our pain go away And I think that's sometimes where we're a bit too idealistic in the way that we present these sometimes. Sometimes the peace that forgiveness gives, I would say most of the time, is so great that it can make the pain that we felt in the offense seem inconsequential. But there's times when the pain is very significant. But the peace and joy that forgiveness brings is greater than the alternatives that we look at of what we could do instead of of forgiving, And that's what allows us to forgive without minimizing or feeling like we just have to silence or mute or ignore our emotions. And so as we conclude this section, this seminar, I, I want us to hit back to a theme from C.S. Lewis. And we just ask the question, what does it look like? How do we forgive? How do we do this over the course of a lifetime? Because this is something we're going to do if we're married for 30, 40, 50 years. I mean, this isn't something we do two or three times in the beginning and we get it right forever after that. Um, And this is where C.S. Lewis would say something like this. He said, for a long time I used to think of this silly straw-splitting distinction. How could you hate a man and hate what a man did and not hate the man? He says, but years later it occurred to me that there was one man whom I'd been doing this with my entire life, myself. However however much I might dislike my own cowardice or conceit or greed, I went on loving myself. There had never been the slightest difficulty in doing that. In fact, the very reason I hated these things that I was doing is because I love the man who was doing them. Just because I love myself, I was sorry to find that I was the sort of man who did them. And that's the attitude that we bring to one another as we walk with each other towards Christ. And we recognize that that is an attitude for one another that only God can give us as we see what He has already done for us. And so I think the most appropriate way to conclude this kind of time. It's just for us to pray and ask God for that heart. If you would, pray with me. Lord, we come to you. We come to you admitting that we're people that our desires run away with us. There are times that those that we love most deeply are those that we share the most with and we treat them in ways that we're just really not proud of. And we pray for the humility and the courage to own and acknowledge that That You would grant us the repentance that comes with that. That You would give us the words to express it in a way that honors our marriages and other relationships. And in the moments when that is done, that You would also give us the grace to forgive. That our marriages truly would become a portrait of Your relationship with the church and the kind of fruit and life that repentance and forgiveness gives Lord, that we would experience the joy that You meant for that and that it would truly be salt and light that our marriages would be a city set upon a hill that would attract people to You as we live in the way that You called us to live. It's Your name we pray. Amen.